Our reading this morning is John chapter 12, verses 1 through 8. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, the home of Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. There they gave a dinner for him. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those at the table with him. Mary took a pound of costly perfume made of pure nard, anointed Jesus' feet, and wiped them with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, the one who was about to betray him, said, Why was not this perfume sold for 300 denarii and the money given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. He kept the common purse and used to steal what was put in it. Jesus said, Leave her alone. She bought it so that she might keep it for the day of my burial. You always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. Holy wisdom, holy word. Good morning, church. I hope you don't mind that I preach from here. Not all uh, pulpits are created equal. (laughs) As you can tell, your clergy are not all the same size either. It is so good to be with you. I bring you greetings from Blaine Memorial United Methodist Church. I emphasize memorial because it's just the name of our church. It is actually right across I-90 in North Beacon Hill. Um, So it's not actually by the border. I've gotten a few of those comments already between the first and second service. And just to let you know, I'm nowhere near Canada, not any nearer than you all are. (laughs) But it's good to be with you here today. My name is Shalom. I uh, serve as one of the pastors on staff at Blaine Memorial. And it's so good. Um, I was telling the first service that Brad and I started in this conference together a little over eight years ago. And so it's been, been really fun to track uh, with one another as we serve different churches throughout our conference and strengthen our connection not only as colleagues, uh, but also in resourcing one another's churches. Uh, you all have resourced our church because Nick and Manny uh, now serve at Blaine Memorial. So Nick was the worship leader and youth director, of course, uh, and I just introduced him to some of our college students uh, yesterday. And so uh, we continue to serve one another in this connectional way, don't we? Let's pray together. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on us this day. Melt us and mold us, fill us and use us as you will. And may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable to you, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. Random acts of kindness will be scrolling behind me. Scenes of a person going out of their way, doing what was not expected, often doing what was not asked. That's why it's so uh, memorable. That, that's why I think that these images cause us to pause. There you go. You see it a little better now. Cause us to pause and, and they give us that interruption, that necessary break in our routine for at least a beauty break. If not, a moment of transformation, a moment of saying, oh, these moments of kindness 
uh, have great worth. They do more for us often than um, a 15-minute sermon can do. Don't time me, by the way. I don't plan on going long, but I always get a little nervous if you are timing. I saw um, a picture. Of course, social media is a great place to witness these acts of kindness. It's so shareable now with a video camera on our phones. It's so easy to capture these moments of kindness that might be random, but you also happen to have access to recording that kindness, and so it can get shared widely. I saw a video of some really, really strong winds, winds that were predicted to get here in a couple hours. There took three young men guiding a woman out from the door of the bank into her car. Took one person to actually hold on to her, took another person to hold the door open, and took another person to make sure that she got in okay. Random. They just happened to be passing her by. Did you know that the random acts of kindness phrase actually stems from 1982? 1982, when Ann Herbert scrawls this phrase on a placemat in Sausalito. This phrase of practice, kindness, and senseless acts of beauty then got into the water, got into the atmosphere, began to get talked about, and by 1993, Anne Herbert and Margaret Pavel were co-writing a book called Random Acts of Kindness. This movement, though it's more than 20 years old, we know, as people of faith, is even older than that. As inheritors of the story, not just the stories that are contained within the Bible, but the story of God who comes in flesh to us in Jesus the Christ, we know that kindness isn't always so random. I have to say, though, that as somebody who is of the millennial generation, definitely on the older end of that millennial generation, it is easy to become skeptical and maybe even cynical about what all this do-gooding actually accomplishes. Are we really addressing the causes of hunger and homelessness when someone asks us to root out our pantry shelves and donate to the next food drive. I come from a context that gives specifically to a food bank that caters to Asian and Pacific Islanders because, of course, their food, their diet, their staples are different than what you might find in any random food pantry. So what good does it really do for me to clean out my shelves of things that might not be culturally appropriate for somebody who's in deep need of this food, much more expired food? Or what good is it really doing to empower those who go through the Goodwill Worker Program or are able to shop in a thrifty way at Goodwill when all I'm really doing it for might be this sticker, for example, that Goodwill was giving out last Valentine's Day that said, I donated my ex's stuff. I donated my ex's stuff. And it gave you a little heart badge. That proved it. It's a true story. Go, uh, if you want to Google it, you'll find 
a couple of iterations. I, I don't know how many years they've been doing that, but it promotes goodwill, right? It promotes you getting that stuff out of your space, giving it to somebody who might make better use of it. But sometimes I get so skeptical about these small acts of kindness, it actually undercuts my desire to do lasting change, to offer hope in a sustainable way. I go from seeing all these posts on social media about the random acts of kindness that people experience or to help bring about, and I start to say, this is too wasteful. This isn't doing enough. And when I'm caught up in the skepticism, when I find myself moving from hope to despair, I'm confronted with a passage from John 12 that was read to us this morning. I know you all are people of context. I was listening to some of the recorded sermons that Brad has been giving the last couple of weeks. Just went onto your website and listened to a couple of them to know what the tone has been. You've been walking with the historical Jesus, and, and more recently you've been looking at what these politics have to do with our faith and how we can advocate for the way of Jesus. Is that right? Did I click on the right sermons? Okay. <laughs> it wasn't like Aldersgate in, in South Carolina or something. Um, who also have a nice website, by the way, if you were ever <laughs> looking for it. So I'm listening to these things, and I was like, your people have been doing such good work at studying the context of this historical Jesus. You all have been so faithful in staying with your pastor, whether or not you know he was leading you or uh, <laughs> you were leading him. And I thought, maybe they just need a good old pat you on the back sermon. You know? Like maybe you just need some time to be cared for as you give your care to so many. I'm going to go ahead and assume that because of Brad's bragging about you, that your do-gooding extends well beyond a Sunday morning. Is that right? And of course you're United Methodist, so you're super humble about it too, right? Yeah, okay. I see you. I see you. You're the ones who get served last. You're the ones who give yourselves away in mission and in service. You rally together not just to do a hobby together like quilting. You probably give those quilts away. Am I getting close? Okay. You don't just donate eggs and candy for Easter because you have a kid here. You give it away in abundance because you know that others will be blessed by it, right? I see, I see that, absolutely, absolutely. You know what it means to give yourselves away in service, and I believe Mary and Martha, who we hear about in today's scripture reading, know what that means as well. So stay with me, right? This is six days before Passover. We're, we're getting up to the high holy days in their life as religious people. But just the chapter before, these two siblings, Mary and Martha, have come very close to death. And by very close, I mean that death was in their home. Their brother Lazarus had just died. And these sisters were mad because Jesus did not come in time. Where were you, they asked. Why didn't you come in time? Why didn't you save him? And we hear that Jesus is so grieved that he weeps. 
Fast forward just one chapter later, we get this passage again. Jesus is in their home and they're showing radical hospitality as United Methodists are great at doing. And they have them for supper along with probably some religious authorities as well. Men, women are there. And here comes Mary with an expensive stash of nard. Since an aloe that was to be used for burial, she has been saving it for some time and it comes out now. Now, because you all are good historical context folks, you know that men and women who are not related to one another are not to mingle, right? This is scandalous. Not only for her once again finding herself at the feet of Jesus and wanting to just be present. Scandalous because she uses such expensive perfume on him. The act of which is going to be mirrored just another chapter later when Jesus asks if he can wash his disciples' feet. Mary models this for what it looks like to be a disciple of Jesus. Mary leads the way. But isn't it funny that whenever there's someone who leads the way and shows kindness, there's always someone who's ready to detract, right? There's always someone who says, you could have done that better. You could have coordinated with so-and-so so that more people could be helped. You could have given us a longer lead time so we could raise more money so it could do more good. Have you ever been a part of conversations like this? Trust me, I have said these criticisms, so if you have uttered them as well, it's going to be okay. <laughs> Judas Iscariot echoes these sentiments of it not being wise. This act of love, of being present, of anointing the anointed one was not wise. Judas Iscariot says probably what many of us who are um, good stewards of finances say, this is wasteful. This could have gone to the poor. This could have gone to other things. This could have been for lasting change. But here's the twist. Because there's always a twist when you're walking with Jesus. The twist is Jesus allows it. Jesus, unlike us sometimes, allows himself to be cared for. And he doesn't prevent Mary from doing what she feels in her heart is appropriate to do. And when she pours out that perfume, the whole room is intoxicated by this scent. Probably even a few rooms over, probably even those who are hanging out on the outside. And I wonder, good people of God, do we have a good news to share that is so intoxicating that it would fill the rooms of our workplaces, the rooms of our schools, the rooms of this church, and, and all the places that we serve. Do we have good news? Do we have kindness and beauty and generosity to share that could be that intoxicating to a world that does not know beauty? I made the mistake of um, staying up too late last night scrolling through Facebook, looking at um, videos of these political rallies where there is just a whole lot of hate going on, right? You've read about it and you've seen it. So much hate and vitriol being shared back and forth, back and forth. 
the antithesis of beauty, the antithesis of kindness, is in abundance. Do we have good news to share to those who can only spit this hate? Can we practice acts of kindness and acts of beauty with those who do not know it? I want us to think about service. I want us to think about kindness and beauty not as some random thing, but as gifts that flow out of a life in Christ. Richard Foster wrote this book that I certainly had to read in my seminary days. Many of you might have read it as well. It's called Celebration of Discipline. And he talks about self-righteous service in this way. Self-righteous service is affected by moods and whims. It can serve only when there is a feeling to serve. Ill health or inadequate sleep controls the desire to serve. How many of us <laughs> have been a little low on sleep, have been racked by uh, a cold and then a flu and then some other virus that somebody was so kind to share with you? And it made your serving the 6.30 a.m. shift or it made your gifts of kindness and generosity uh, flow a little less full. True service ministers simply and faithfully because there is a need. It knows that the feeling to serve can often be a hindrance to true service. Self-righteous service is temporary. It functions only while the specific acts of service are being performed. Having served, it can rest easy. But true service is a lifestyle. It acts from ingrained patterns of living. It springs spontaneously to meet human need. Mary is allowing herself to serve because it is a need that has been presented before her. As you go throughout your week, I want you to think of the places where need is, is presented before you. And is it another to-do list or is it a response that comes up from you, springs up from you organically? Is your desire to practice kindness and beauty springing up from that place where God has met you in an intimate way. Do you know the interesting thing about this Random Acts of Kindness movement? Is that that book, you remember, was published in 1993. But in 1991 and 1992, we had the Rodney King violence, protests over police brutality and racism. And abroad, we had wars mounting in the Persian Gulf. I remember it. Do you? Out of this tumultuous time, two people decided to listen to the organic springing up that was occurring in them and offered this book called Practicing Acts of Kindness. I'm excited, Aldersgate to see what comes out of you in our tumultuous time. I'm excited to see what springs up in us as we combat, as we answer the hate and vitriol that continues to fill our news, our newspaper, our coffee conversations, our email threads. I'm excited for what God's already doing here and what God will continue to do. Listen to the words of 
of Margaret Pavel, the one who co-authored this book. We wanted to stop the wars, she said, to create a spell that would shatter the trance. So we took the phrase random violence and senseless acts of cruelty and created a reversal. It was not too tough to find kindness for violence. And not wimpy kindness, but tough, Dalai Lama, never give up kind of kindness. Mary and Martha kind of kindness. Beauty for cruelty, though, that was a radical innovation. Beauty for cruelty, that was a radical innovation. We are just one week away from Palm Sunday, one week away from remembering the great story that leads us up to Resurrection Sunday. And in those three days of Maundy Thursday and Good Friday and then the Easter vigil, do we not experience beauty being exchanged for cruelty? Do we not experience the life-giving nature of Jesus who says, I will not play by your rules? I'll show you another way. God in Christ shows us another way. We're invited to beauty and to kindness so persistently, so doggedly with perseverance and resolution that what looks random and senseless to the world is actually quite intentional on our behalf and the God that we serve. Amen? Amen.